0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all white meat chicken with crinkle cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mm Mmm. Buy one and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Prices and participation may vary.
1: Cannot be combined with any other offer a combo meal.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more... This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your
1: hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. As we are streaming this show live on Mixler.com slash Machine and also SoxMachine.com. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Josh Nelson, and it's July 30th, 2020, as the Chicago White Sox have an off day. They're one of six off days for this 60-game schedule as they will be traveling from Cleveland to Kansas City to get ready for the weekend series against the Royals. The Chicago White Sox are currently 2-4 on the season after winning yesterday's pitcher's duel thanks to four runs in the ninth inning and Lucas Giolito returning back to form. But it is a tough series upcoming in Kansas City for the White Sox. It's always been a tough place to play, and can the White Sox, with a little pressure on them, get themselves back into this division race, especially with the Twins and Indians playing against each other over the next four days? Well, to help me recap the series in Cleveland and attempt to answer that question is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Before we get to the White Sox talk, we got some breaking news from ESPN's Jeff Passon. Jeff Passon is reporting that starting on Saturday, August 1st, Double headers will become seven-inning games. As the White Sox and Indians just played a double header. both of them were nine-inning affairs, so imagine what we saw on Wednesday become seven-inning games instead of nine-inning games. The extra-inning rule still applies, but it applies now in the eighth inning instead of the tenth inning where there will be a runner on second base. This is something we've been wondering about, Jim, and now Major League Baseball has implemented what we've seen in the minor leagues. Are you good with this change?
1: Yeah, for this season, certainly. Given the amount of pitchers that are dropping like flies around the league, it's. Uh, I was confused when they brought up one rule, you know, that from the minor leagues basically promoted the extra inning rule from minor leagues. I thought yeah, it's weird that they're not, you know, if they're this concerned about keeping games short and about getting in as many reasonable facsimiles of regulation games as possible without, I guess, or, or while minimizing the exposure to like marathon games, I, I figured that the extra inning, you know, the seven inning double header would be kind of a natural choice and surprised me that I wasn't there all along. And uh, uh, for once, I'm ahead of the curve.
0: And for the fans that are just tuning in right now on mixer.com slash machine or on Soxmachine.com. I really think what's driving Major League Baseball to make this change now is that the Marlins are going to miss a week's worth of games, no matter what. The Phillies are going to miss a week's worth of games, no matter what. And you really throw yourself in a position where at the end of the season, some teams are going to play 60 games, some teams might be lucky to play 50, Jim. Mm -hmm. and you're going to decide who goes to the postseason based on winning percentage, even though one team played 10 more games than the other, I, I can see where Major League Baseball is going to say, hold on, let's give this a shot. If we reduce it to seven inning double headers, hopefully with the other days off that were already scheduled, we can arrange travel and these teams can make up these games. So at the end of the season on September 27th, Everyone has played 60 games. I think that's what's really driving this change now is because you're going to have teams that have missed at least a week's worth of games, and Major League Baseball wants those teams to make them up.
1: Yeah, and and that's reasonable. I mean, there's always going to be, whether it was a pandemic-related reason for a team missing a cluster of games or something like a hurricane or tropical storm that rains a whole weekend out, there's always going to be the potential for something catastrophic or severe to disrupt a team schedule with very little time to make it up. So it it makes sense to have some kind of fallback plan to be able to make up a cluster of games without, you know, really, uh, you know, running a team's pitching staff ragged or, um, you know, just being, you know, flying in the face of all the other things they're trying to do public health wise in order to keep the season legit and, you know, as safe as, they feel like making it. So, yeah, it's it makes sense. And uh, when it comes to the other part we were talking about before, um, you know, a, a couple of shows ago with the 17 doubleheader, we also talked about 30 man rosters being here to stay. And I wonder if that's going to be the next thing where they realize, uh, yeah, we can't really
0: shrink the rosters based on uh, just how many players are missing time. I made that case with Dan Bernstein today on 670 to score. And I'm with you, Jim. I think that's got to be the next change for Major League Baseball. Just look at it from a White Sox perspective, okay? With them now suffering as far as the starting pitching injuries, you're going to be trying to get arms into the team. And at the same time, having to reduce your roster size from 30 to 28 guys in about 10 days, Like, I think that's just too complicated. And if you're already making a change as far as with the schedule, in light of... Obviously, games being canceled because of a positive test with coronavirus. But as you mentioned also, Jim, you got starting pitchers flaming out everywhere. Everywhere. It's just not the White Sox. I I really wonder how many starting pitchers are going to be on the injured list in a couple of weeks. Uh, If you're going to have that problem where teams are just churning out pitchers just to get through games, I'm with you. You might as well stick with the 30-man rosters and... We're just going to have to accept that every Major League Baseball team is going to have 16 pitchers because they're going to need 16 pitchers to get through the season.
1: Yeah, and and when it comes down to it, the season really, you know, it's not going to be compared to any other season. I think the world, if, if it gets to the postseason in the World Series, I think the World Series winner will be very happy to win it. But really, it comes down to... Guys getting paid, so some you know not just players getting paid, but like front office people, like the business of baseball is still existing in one form. And those players not just getting paid, but also getting reps. So, you know, being able to continue careers, being able to uh, matriculate players to some degree, whether it's guys getting better. Uh, guys getting promoted. The minors is kind of frozen right now, but even then at least some some players who are on the fringe, whether they're quadruple-A types or whether they're just rushed a little bit, they're going to get chances to maybe be a part of a team sooner rather than later when maybe it would have been slow played over the course of a normal season. So it, it's going to be, you know, it, it serves the purpose of, you know, I guess the the whole idea of uh, competitive integrity and, and resembling uh, a classic season is yeah, that, that can be played with because you really, uh, if they wanted to resemble a normal season, they wouldn't have played this at all, or they would have agreed to 100 games and really tried to make it, you know, that work hell or high water. But when it comes to just the whole uh, mission of the season, I think it's really just uh, trying to avoid losing a whole year of development and business and um, just. You know, trying to have you know, I guess not totally given to time, uh, costing a whole bunch of people their careers. Uh, you know, whether they're players or not.
0: I do have to say, we may see more no hitters this year, especially if we if we get many seven inning double headers. Lucas Giolito threw a seven inning no hitter with the Charlotte Knights in AAA a few years ago. We may even see seven inning perfect games. Are we going to put asterisks on those performances? I don't know. I can yeah, well, see some people doing games it. baseball. Well, you're right. And I, I tell you this, as far as sort of a betting perspective, you can't trust bullpens for most of the league right now. Oh my God. It's just this season's off the rails, uh, but let's, let's go ahead and focus our attention on the Chicago white Sox and their past series against Cleveland as they won game three, four to nothing it was odd after the game lucas giolito said this was a must-win game and rick renteria saying it wasn't a must-win game i side with lucas giolito this was a must-win game for the white Sox because they could not find themselves four games behind cleveland after only playing six games into a short 2020 season but back to giolito jim it was nice to see him bounce back to his 2019 form yeah, yeah. To to
1: just touch upon the must win thing, I think that's like the proper. The the guys you mentioned had the right opinions for their role. I think for players, you know, it's it's important to have that must win mentality. It's probably not a great message for Renteria to call it a must win just because, you know, if they don't win it, then are they gonna crap their pants and and you know just uh, panic all over? So that's why you know, must win is is really hard to. Uh, call it that early in the season, even if it is a shortened season. But yeah, Gilito was good and it was, you know, it, it was the kind of success where um, that showed his dominance from last year, where even when his command isn't impeccable, uh, the fastball command was way better than his first start. But the change of command, he got, you know, he can throw that kind of change up wherever he wants in the zone, whether it's, you know, upper half, bottom half. They just weren't good swings in it. They were well ahead. He was hiding and he was executing it well to the point where location was just secondary to it looking like a strike at any point. If it was, uh, you know, starting, say, belt high, and if it was starting like letter high, then it didn't really matter because they're going to take it. And that was kind of a uh, flashbacks of last year to where the changeup was so good. It was just he could throw any count. He could just toggle between fastball and changeup. And
0: uh, the, the, the slider and curveball really weren't necessary. Well, to look good. Carlos Rodon, some innings look good. Some innings did not. Dylan Cease kind of followed the same path as Ronaldo Lopez, but didn't get hurt. Uh, so the starting pitching outside of Giolito in this series struggled uh, for mm-hmm. both Rodon and Cease. What, what's interesting, though, is that the White Sox bullpen then takes over the game after three or four innings, and they shut down the Cleveland Indians. I mean, the bullpen was sensational this series, Jim. It's just, if you go back and you look at these games, it's like, man, only if Cease and Rodon pitched better would the White Sox have won another game in this series. It would have been a low-scoring game, but could they have stolen another game in this series because of the way the bullpen pitched? Is this a sign that if the White Sox started pitching, does approve, and everybody falls in line, like Giolito did in his second starts, that we could see more wins following for the White Sox.
1: Yeah, some lower scoring games definitely. I think uh, the first two opponents that the White Sox drew, and which happen to be their chief two rivals in the AL Central, they both have strengths that really test some White Sox weaknesses. With the with the Twins, they just have the elite offense, and they. Test a team's pitching depth and the resourcefulness of that pitching depth. Like, yeah, they they can. Yeah, the White Sox bullpen looked a lot better than the uh, against the uh, Indians than it did the Twins, just because they are just punishing top to bottom. Can start a rally from uh, any part of the order. They don't need to rally sometimes. They can just hit homers, and that's really tough. And then you know the uh, the Indians come along and they test a team's plate discipline. Like watching uh, Zach Plesac just throw those sliders like uh, just a ridiculous amount of swinging strikes on a slider. That's not really like a, a power slider. It's not like a, a Chris sale type, crazy angle, crazy break type slider. that you know, you expect that kind of strikeout total from it was just, Really well executed pitches on the fringes of the strike zone, and maybe more disciplined hitters can lay off and, and get into better counts and eliminate that pitch. But the White Sox hitters, that at least you know, in, in some cases like Tim Anderson, extremely aggressive, and Luis Robert, you know, playing his first week in the majors. Uh, they are not going to be able to lay off that pitch and he's just going to have their way with them or have his way with them. So, uh, you know, in, in that case, the White Sox were lucky that Lito was up to the task and the bullpen followed up and they were able to get the game scoreless to the ninth before a lefty came in and, and gave the righties more of a chance. So when you when you see those two teams pressing those particular buttons at the White Sox, uh, uh, yeah, their weaknesses, then I think it's, uh, you know, two and four is, uh, yeah, and maybe one and five is kind of a scary record, but not necessarily reflective of how they're going to perform against the rest of the league. It just happens to be a really
0: terrible first impression. The White Sox offense scored 10 runs over three games, which is obviously not ideal. You'll score 10 runs in a three game series more times than not. You're going to lose that series unless, as we mentioned, your starting pitching is really on point. 32 strikeouts to just three walks and you just mentioned it that the Cleveland starters really challenged the White Sox plate discipline. What happened to the White Sox plate discipline that we saw in the previous series when they walked 12 times against the Minnesota Twins and only struck out 22 times?
1: Well, I I think it's partially the product of the Cleveland pitching depth and just, you know, the kind of pitchers they produce, like Savali and Plutko and uh, Plesek were just, they're not hard throwers, but they just get by by locating really well. And uh, the Twins did not locate really well, and, and, you know, they had some, some weird, uh, you know, just kind of at-bats. And, you know, uh, Brios was not sharp, and he was hanging a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate. The Indians pitchers did not do that. And uh, you you mentioned, uh, you know, if uh, if the starters performed a little bit better, if the White Sox could have scored, uh, you know, Cashed in either one of their bases loaded uh, attempts in the in the first game. You know they should have won that one based on how many runners they stranded and just how three of their four hits with runners in scoring position did not score runs. <laughs> just uh, it was a really bizarre offensive performance. And and uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a theme with Cleveland games is just whether the pitching staff can just outlast or or man, go toe-to-toe with the Cleveland starters until the bullpen comes in, and maybe they have more of a chance just because uh, those Cleveland starters just locate really well or locate better than the White Sox hitters, by and large,
0: can lay off. Well, we did get this request as far as with the show. Is there something that we can do to talk about a little bit more of the positive side for the White Sox early in 2020? So to honor that request, Who played well for the White Sox this past series? We talked about the bullpen. The bullpen, 13 innings pitched, six hits allowed, zero runs, five walks, and 14 strikeouts. That is absolutely terrific. Big shout-outs to Aaron Bummer for also returning to his 2019 form. And Evan Marshall. A kind of a friend of the show. We had him on before the season started. He's pitching really well for the White Sox so far. Offensively, Tim Anderson, big series. Six for 13 with a home run and three doubles. So Anderson flexing the power in this series. Jose Breu had a three-hit game. He was four for 12 for the series. And Luis Robert, four for 12. He struck out six times, but he continues his hitting streak to six games, which is his entire career, Jim. And that was, I I felt that was a very mature, I don't know if you want to say a polished professional baseball single that we saw in his last game, but up to nothing runners on second, third and two outs and him struggling all day against Plesak to face Adam Simber, who forces every hitter to put the ball on the ground. I thought that was a terrific at bat by Luis Robert to find a way to muscle it out of the infield for a two RBI single, Jim. Yeah, it almost seemed like based on just
1: the the helplessness of earlier swings against police that he was hellbent on not swinging over the top of something so he stayed down stayed on it drove it back where the the ball was pitched drove, drove it right back up the middle and uh that was yeah good to see especially uh, a nice cap on his uh on what could have been just a night where you know he had nothing to take away from it he was able to you know put a nice cap on it you know a couple other things you know bray you mentioned him and just I was watching his, you know, first at bats of the season, like the against the Twins, and just a lot of weak contact to the opposite side, and uh, the kind of contact that is not middle of the order type uh, contact you want to see from uh, from a first base only profile. And you know, given that he's in his thirties and the White Sox just handed him a three year contract, and theoretically, you know, he's not playing in April with a balaclava on. You know, you expect <laughs> him to to uh, start a bit hotter uh, to. Uh, uh, to uh, align with the weather, that the early contact is a little bit discouraging. But yeah, hit, pulling the ball in the air, hitting it with a little more authority, that was nice to see. Uh, I, I was happy to see that. And then Adam Engel, um, just uh, hanging in there, you know, shoving the ball to right field, uh, not trying to do too much. Uh, you know, Getting a couple hits here and there, making Nicky Delmonico less necessary or uh, less, uh, uh, you know, making Rick Renteria less inclined to play him
0: while Nomar Mazzara gets up to speed in Schaumburg. Uh, that was really good to see as well. We'll talk about Nomar Mazara later in the show during our show poll, but you know we're more than just White Sox experts. I think at this point we could be pretty good experts on the Cleveland Indians and Minnesota twins as well, Jim, as far as the two thousand twenty series uh season, and Cleveland and Minnesota are playing a four game series that starts tonight as we are streaming this live. The Cleveland Indians are leading two to nothing. They have shut out the Twins through five innings. The game is currently at the top of the sixth inning. Francisco Lindor hit a two-run home run off Jose Breos. But now that the White Sox have played a series against Cleveland and they played a series against Minnesota, after watching both, which team do you like more? I think I like the Twins
1: more just because, you know, one thing when Shane Bieber's on the mound holding Minnesota scoreless, but when they get to the... Uh, the like, say, the Plutko part of the rotation or the Plesak, even though Plesak was you know really good, uh, or Savali, like the, those less impressive arms, uh, I think they'll have the plate discipline to make them work harder and at least make them you know either foul pitches off, fight pitches off, and the fringes get into better counts to where they have to come into the zone more and be able to punish them. So I think I like that lineup depth more that should be able to expose the Indians, you know, lesser starters a little bit more than the White Sox showed. But it was it was fascinating to me watching Terry Francona uh, go to six starters his first time through in order to save Shane Bieber for the Twins, which I thought was, you know, maybe the White Sox could use that as bulletin board material if such a thing exists. But, you know, <laughs> the way it played out, you know, Plesak probably pitched as well as Bieber could have. Uh, I don't think Beaver is going to go nine this early in the season. So it uh, didn't really blow up in their face. You know I think either way if Bieber pitched eight scoreless innings and it went to the ninth zero0 uh, game that Brad Hand would have come in. So it really didn't affect the way they played the White Sox at all and you know it comes out uh, that uh, they are able to throw Bieber the, uh, for the first game of the series and you know five innings in. It looks like uh, the strategy, although it didn't materialize in a win uh, in a sweep of the White Sox, it, it did pay off. I thought that was a
0: smart move, though. It, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's Francona recognizing that, hey, we may not have this enough talent to go toe-to-toe against Minnesota, but if I can stack my starting rotation where I have my top three guys face them in the first three games, and if I can get those three wins on the road and win that series before the Sunday game, I got to give it a shot. And I, I agree with Francona's thinking here. And right now, so far, uh, into the sixth inning, it's, it's working out for Cleveland. And for me, uh, it's, it's this age-old question. What do you want? Do you want the team who has the loaded lineup, provides a lot of offense every single night, or do you want the team that has very strong starting pitching? Because Cleveland's lineup, Jim, after Carlos Santana, so you know you got Cesar Hernandez, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Santana. Man, that's a drop off. It is a big drop off. I Cleveland's gonna have some tough times generating some offense in the bottom part of their lineup, but that starting rotation is so good, so good. The White Sox struggled against Cleveland's four, five, and number and six starters, and I would hate to see what it would be like if they had to go up against Bieber, Clevenger. And we hate these games, the Carlos Carrasco games. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's a coin flip for me. I do think in a 60 game season with teams having the starting pitching burnout, if Francona can keep his starting rotation healthy and intact for the entire 60 games, I do think Cleveland can be a serious challenger to Minnesota to win the American league central, just because I still don't trust Minnesota starting pitching. And even though he pitched much better uh, tonight uh, than he did against the White Sox, I don't think Jose Breos, it's just Jose Breos. I mean, after him, it's Kent Maeda and Rich Hill. We'll see where they are health wise. But I like Bieber, Clevenger and Carrasco more than Breos, Maeda and Hill. Yeah, that's fair to say. One thing I'm kind of curious about
1: with Cleveland is Roberto Perez. He had the shoulder issue that knocked him out of the last game of the series against the White Sox. And he's kind of a, uh, well, I mean, he was he's not sneaky good because the White Sox have a really hard time with him. So White Sox fans wouldn't consider him sneaky good. They just consider him a big pain. But uh, he's just he's a pretty well-rounded catcher. And I think he adds a lot to that staff. And Watching Bo Taylor come in, you know, basically off the scrub list and Sandy Leone, too, like a waiver claim, just not the same. You know, not the same for their lineup, not the same defensively. So I can see it taking maybe a little bit away from Cleveland's pitching depth. Uh, you know, nothing immediate so far, especially with the way Plesak pitched. But, um, you know, over the course of a season, especially if Perez is out for a meaningful amount of time, I, I will be watching to see if uh, there's any effect because it, it based on, you know, just uh, how they go about planning and the, the receiving he provides, how he uh, helps shut down the running game and his blocking. He's a very well-rounded defensive catcher. And I think he adds a lot to the the roster and makes their lineup a bit deeper than, uh, you yeah, know, it's still top heavy with, even with him in it. But he provides a threat on both sides, I think, that make him a major leaguer, whereas the rest of the lineup really just, you know, Francona has to get by mixing and matching.
0: Yeah, Fremil Reyes really needs to step up his game in order to really help out Cleveland's offense and extend that lineup. I was expecting a little bit more from him in this series against the White Sox, and if he does not step up into that role for Cleveland, again, I think Cleveland's going to have a tough time scoring outside of Hernandez, Ramirez, Lindor, and Santana. But as we learned in this series, they can quickly score multiple runs in an inning with those four hitters. They are very good for Cleveland. Well, let's preview the next series for the Chicago White Sox as they head to Kansas City.
1: Thinking about sprucing up your yard this spring but not sure where to start? The answer is as simple as picking the right plants. Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs. Look for them in the white containers at your local garden center.
0: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything.
1: Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: Home sense. Why is it home sense? The prices make sense. Ooh, outdoor is in.
1: Are those plates melamine? Pretty planters, pillows, lanterns. Pretty much everything outdoor. And the
0: savings. What well, makes sense to me now. Outsave on outdoor. Find a store at homesense.com. It will be a three-game series starting on Friday, July 31st. The Royals are currently playing the Tigers tonight, so they'll either be 3-4 and four or 2-5 and five depending on the result. And last I checked, they are currently tied at two runs apiece. Your probable pitchers for this upcoming series on Friday at 7.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Dallas Keuchel making his second start with the White Sox against Chris Bubich. Bubich made 26 starts in A and high A last year, striking out 185 batters and walking just 42 and 149 innings pitched. He is the sixth ranked Kansas City Royals prospect, according to MOBpipeline.com. And if my memory serves me right after watching Bubich at Stanford gym, he's a left-hander pretty much sits at 91 and 93. He's got a very good changeup and it's a deceptive delivery. So, Jim, are we ready to get frustrated watching the White Sox hitters on Friday? Yeah,
1: you know, they have the, uh, oh, I mean, in this case, you know, the White Sox have a tendency, at least this year, to help guys set career high in strikeouts. At least in this case, uh, one strikeout will be a career high for him. So that's at least uh, a little bit refreshing. But, yeah, it's it could be uh, difficult. The one thing is, you know, the White Sox have, uh, you know, haven't been able to face many lefty pitchers. So maybe this is the case where, um, you know, we'll play their strengths and we'll, we'll have uh, pitches coming towards them rather than running away from them. And, and maybe that'll, uh, you know, after facing the onslaught of right-handed command oriented pitchers that the
0: Indians had, maybe this will just be a little bit easier to see. And then for Dallas Keiko making his second start with the White Sox, gym, I mean, should we expect the same type of success that he had against the Minnesota twins, seeing that Kansas city they do have some good hitters. I mean, Whit Merrifield has been a pain in the neck for the White Sox for many years. Uh, but I can't forget Jorge Soler, who's off to a little bit of a slower start, but still has tremendous power. Should But again, should fans expect to see the same type of success Keuchel had against Minnesota, against Kansas City?
1: Well, he, he made it look so easy against a, a much more difficult offense. And yeah, if he's just beating the ball on the ground, then uh, yeah, that, that was you know, pretty low stress, uh, Renteria really didn't push him too far in, into the start. So I'm expecting, you know, more, uh, just more of the same, you know, maybe he won't be as fortunate with contact cause he only struck out one. So maybe that's the one thing where you, know, if you get some of the, the speedier runners like Montessi or, or Lopez or, or Merrifield can run, you know, that, that might be something that kind of gets in the way of Keuchel having an easy start. But, you know, given that he's a good defender, a lefty, he can help slow down the running game a little bit. Uh, I'm not expecting uh, you just the kind of – I'm thinking back to like Chris Sale, Jose Quintana back when they were pitching and and how they just had to work a lot harder than they had to work against most opponents just because of the contact-oriented offense. The – the Royals are striking out a lot this year so far. Um, you know, Bieber, <laughs> when, when they face Shane Bieber and he strikes out, what, 14 over six? Uh, that'll inflate the numbers a little bit. But, uh, yeah, they are more prone to strikeouts than they have been in previous years. So maybe that's one thing that'll work in the White
0: Sox favor this weekend. Well, on Saturday, it is a 6.05 p.m. Central Time start. So make your Saturday plans. Accordingly, it's Gio Gonzalez on the mound for the White Sox against a very dangerous to-be-announced for Kansas City. And on Sunday, a one oh five p.m. Central Time start. It is Dylan Cease on the mound, also against to-be-announced for Kansas City. We don't know uh, who the Royals will have throw on Saturday and Sunday quite yet. And when it comes to Gio Gonzalez and Dylan Cease, I know the cop-out answer, Jim. Five innings. Mm-hmm. But what should White Sox fans hope for to see from both Gonzalez and Cease this weekend? Well, Gonzalez,
1: I think, you know, keeping the ball in the park just because he can, you know, especially in say warm weather, ball carrying the way the the juice ball seems to still be around. That uh, you know, just try not to give up the walks and homers. You know, try if you're going to give homers, make them solo shots. With Cease, you know, we we talked about it when he made his first start that. Um, you know, he'd shown the ability to locate the fastball in in the preseason, and he'd shown the ability to throw his curveball however he wanted in the preseason. And and I kind of hope that over one of the first two starts he would show that. And just uh, seemed like with the Indians at their left-handed bats, really just were able to wait him out till he offered him something, whether it was laying off curveballs down and in, or the changeup really wasn't that impressive, and the fastball command wasn't. You know, he was in the zone. He was more competitive. He wasn't. As bad as he was last year, where he just physically unable to hit some parts of the zone, he he was more of a well-rounded pitcher when it came to pitches he could throw for strikes, but they weren't good strikes. And the changeup, I'm hoping he doesn't need to throw that as often or doesn't feel as compelled to mix it with it. And the and the curveball can be more of a a strike-throwing pitch, a strike-grabbing pitch early in the uh, at bat to really uh, allow him to pitch backwards and forwards.
0: Who do you who would you like to see go after Gonzalez if Gonzalez physically can only go three or four innings, Jim? Who would be the next guy <laughs> out of the bullpen?
1: Oh man, I would have said Jimmy Lambert, but because uh, right. you know just mixing the lefty and righty. Uh, but with Lambert being out and you know Ross Detweiler not really providing a handedness advantage, I think it's just. You know they did call it Matt Foster from the right side, Ian Hamilton from the right side. So maybe they have enough righties, Jimmy Cordero, to go in the inning, an inning plus, to be able to stretch out uh, some bridge work from like the third through the sixth, and then you know you get to your bummer portion and column A and so forth. So I think this is going to be more of a teamwork thing from the right. I think with Cease, if he's only able to go four inefficient innings, that's the other thing with the Indians' offense is that they're able to foul pitches off and make Cease work deeper into the count until he uh, you know, ended up making a mistake in the fatter part of the zone. But if he can at least get fourth or fifth, then I think Detweiler can come in, you know, old Haas, Detweiler, uh 15 up 15 down so far, um, you know, being able to come in from the left side and offer a different look against lineup that might be tailored to Cease. Uh, that might be a way to, uh, you know, it's not quite the opener, but it's opener like thinking to where your second guy can go a few innings and turn the lineup around.
0: Yeah. If, I think if Gonzalez and Cease, Can throw up zeros. I think the White Sox have an opportunity to sweep this series, but again, Kansas City's just—it's been a terrible place for the White Sox to play. Every time you think, "Wow, Kansas City's terrible," the White Sox should sweep this series. The White Sox find a way to lose two out of three. That's my—that's my fear in this series. I don't think the White Sox after Kansas City can be three and six. I really, I, I, I if you get yourself into three and six, now all of a sudden we are looking at what Toronto and the angels and the Rangers are doing because it's like the best the white Sox can do is either be a seventh or eighth seed uh, after the first nine games of the season, because they dug themselves too big of a hole to really climb out of it. But if they sweep the Royals here being super optimistic and they're five and four and if Cleveland and Minnesota split that series well, all of a sudden Cleveland's at six and four and the twins are at six and three. And there's the White Sox at five and four. You put yourself in a position where you can still make this a race, even though you lost both series to the Twins and the Indians. This this is why the series against Kansas City and Detroit are super critical for the White Sox, and they have to find a way to win as many of these games as possible in this season to give them a good chance of still competing for the American League Central to have an opportunity to finish second in the division and get one of the guaranteed postseason spots or to at least stay ahead of the other fringe teams that I mentioned right uh, just before, like the Blue Jays, the Angels, and the Rangers, to sneak into the playoffs as either the seventh or, or eighth seed. So I do think this is a pretty critical series for the White Sox, especially how they performed against Cleveland and Minnesota. Now, can the White Sox get help this weekend? Maybe Nick Magical and Omar Mazzara are still in Schaumburg, but we are now past the point that the White Sox have added an extra year of control with Nick Magical and Omar Mazzara has gotten a few days now in Schaumburg to get himself ready to join the White Sox. And it's probably cheaper to send two players at the same time, rather than one player at a time uh, to the destination. So the question that I asked for the show poll, Jim to our followers on Twitter, will we see Nick Madrigal and or Noah Mazzara with the White Sox this weekend? What do you think? Could we see one of the two or both with the White Sox? To me, it feels like Mazzara only, and
1: maybe Madrigal starts in Milwaukee or against Milwaukee
0: next week. Okay, so you want you're going to go with yes. Mizarra only. Yes. Okay. 29.2% of the poll voters agree with you. I think we have a lot of optimistic fans. 43.8% say both will join the White Sox this weekend. I don't know how I feel. I, I There's a part of me that feels, well, listen, you got your extra year control. You might as well, right? Mm-hmm. Might as well call up Madrigal. And you put Loui Garcia as the super utility, you put him on the bench. Uh, or if you wanted to play right field to get that platoon advantage, put him in right field and then Adam Engle could sit on the bench. But if you call up both, then you got No Mazzara in the lineup. So Ingle then theoretically goes to the bench no matter what. And if you call it magical, so does Garcia. Uh, and then you have this 30-man roster and you got to cut players too. I, thinking aloud... I guess I'm with you, Jim. I'll 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 side with you on this one. I think only Noamar Mazzara will join the White Sox this weekend, and then I don't know when Nick Madrigal will be called up for the team. I mean, if it's really to see, they could cut loose Nikito Monaco and Ryan Goings right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, if they're okay with doing that, great. You just purchased the contract of Ryan Goings. Uh, so I don't know how quickly you want to cut him loose after you just called him up and have him join the team in Cleveland, but you can do that, and you can let both Delmonico and Goings go, and then you can add Mazzara and Magical, and then you can insert them into the starting lineup. I, again, I'm thinking aloud here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess I would like to see both of them called up. I think it's time. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. I think uh, that I'd rather see both called
1: up. And I think, you know, I wonder in a case like Goins, you know, based on the White Sox liking him and him getting a lot of playing time with the Sox last year and just kind of knowing their deal. I wonder if that's a case where if they let him go, would he remain in the organization if he had the choice? Just because there's a chance, a very real chance he could be back based on just uh, uh, a cluster of injuries. And if the 30-man roster stays the way it is all season, you know, versus, you know, shrinking down to 28 and 26, like we think it might, uh, you know, it could be the case where he's always available. If not, somebody like him is always available, but yeah, it's just, you know, the white Sox have been playing shorthanded or at least, you know, the, the, where, where Rick Renteria can, you know, have a reason to start delmonico Monaco, even if it isn't a good reason, at least it's like a baseball reason. He's starting it. Uh, right-handed starters, left-handed bats, uh, you know, just simple re- reductive reasoning. Uh, but yeah. With Mazzara there, just, just having options and, and, you know, seeing so many grounders go under uh, Larry's mid at second base just makes me want to see somebody else there, even though it's no fault of his, I mean, just he's doing what he can, but uh, what we've seen from him at second base against lefty or against righties as left handed bat is just, you know, grounders the second uh, weak flies to uh, center and left aside from that one Homer he pulled and uh, just, uh, you know, not, really the best range at second. So, uh, you know, Madrigal can do that. And, you know, as you mentioned with the service time thing, no longer being a consideration, there's no reason he shouldn't be there. Even if he's not going to be, you know, hitting the ground, uh, being like a Placido Polanco, um, just thorn in other pitching staff side, he'll at least be providing defense and base running and, uh, and helping that way. The way Garcia
0: doesn't at second. See, okay. Then you convinced me, my heart. I want to see both of them. But my brain says we're only going to see Nomar Mazara. Yep. A little disappointing, uh, but then it'd be it'd be kind of odd then to add magical for the Milwaukee series because why'd you wait <laughs> three more days? Yeah, you can uh, just drive up versus being on a flight, maybe. Uh, but... there you go.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah. Save
0: on costs. But no, yourself... well, I'm
1: thinking just you know more safety, you know, versus just hey, get in your car and drive up uh, versus have to fly. But yeah, yeah that's just, I, I don't really know, but it also helps that they're facing you know, at least one left-handed pitcher this time around. So, you know, having Garcia at second base against the lefty is fine. You know, I think that's the argument where, you know, Rick Hahn says we feel better about having Garcia in the lineup. That's a case where as a right-handed bat against lefty pitcher, that isn't that great. Uh, yeah, I, that's the argument I can see where Garcia is worth playing.
0: Well, hopefully on Monday, we are talking about a White Sox series win on the next episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Again, they really need one, especially if Cleveland and Minnesota can split that four game series. They'll put the White Sox right back into the thick of things in the American League Central and uh, allow the White Sox to make up ground on both teams. But that will do it for this edition of Socks Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that listened to the live stream on Mixler.com/socksmachine or on SocksMachine.com. Again, you could follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And for those that support us on Patreon, we do have some exciting news, Jim. We have a new swag item. Yes,
1: we have coffee mugs, and the, right now they're available. They will be held for new $10 uh, new Patreon supporters at the $10 tier. Uh, the premium tier they're replacing the pint glass at that level but w- I will also be making them available for sale through the site shortly, probably by this weekend. I'm just getting the uh I just got the cardboard boxes for them uh coming in today. So um you'll actually be able to package them and such. So I'm thinking either by tomorrow, probably more realistically Saturday, I'll be able to put them up and I'll have links and I'll be uh spring, uh you know both uh the site and Twitter with links to how to order uh, I'm a fan of design. I'm a fan of obscure White Sox references. It has both of them. So hopefully people agree. But so far, the early feedback has been encouraging. And uh, hopefully they will be flying off
0: my literal shelves. And we do have t-shirts as well. We have a new t-shirt that we've been handing out as far as to our Patreon supporters as well. So if you enjoy our work and you want some Sox Machine swag, go to patreon.com slash Sox Machine to sign up today. And again, your support means all the world to us. And, uh, in a crazy year of 2020, uh, your support has gone a long, long way. So again, yes. thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, to our Patreon supporter. So again, that's patreon.com slash socks machine. And uh, again, yeah, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. And if you miss the live streams because just life gets in the way, no worries. Every episode of Sox Machine Live is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening to Socks Machine Live, and we'll talk to you on Monday.
1: Is QuickBooks slowing your business down? Do you have challenges managing inventory, project profitability, or just getting paid fast enough? Get your business to a better place and graduate to NetSuite today. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at NetSuite.com info. Schedule your free product tour right now at NetSuite.com info. NetSuite.com info.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto
1: Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings.